This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Your computer makes thousands of connections every day just like the one it's making now to deliver you your audio content. Why not unlock some little connections of your own? Pick up a box of Cadbury Heroes today, stay at home, and share them with your family or friends. Sometimes it's the little things that bring us together. Before we get stuck in, how about a word from our sponsors? Here at Science-ish, we like understanding how the world works. That's basically why we do the podcast. And that is why... We think you'll enjoy the Great Courses Plus, which is a video and audio streaming service for people who love to learn. So they've got a load of professors and big dons to do lectures across all sorts of subjects. And there's a brand new course that we are highly recommending called Sci-Fi Science Fiction as Philosophy, presented by a guy called Dr. David Kyle Johnson. And to be fair, there is a great synergy with this show in that they are dealing with quite similar things. So they're looking at science fiction uh, and using it as a window into important discussions about, you know, ethics or power or social justice or tolerance. To be fair, we don't do that much of that. No, so we do the science and he does the other stuff, right? Exactly. And so he's looked into some of our favourite works of science fiction, a lot of which we've done on this show. The Matrix, Alien, Interstellar. He's done Westworld. Oh, yeah. We should have a look at that, actually. Yeah, we probably should. Up to speed. But anyway, it's a good course. And The Great Courses Plus has thousands of fascinating lectures to enjoy from award-winning experts. And so you can get unlimited access to explore any topic that interests you. Science, human behaviour, history. Even if you want to like get better at chess, there are lectures on there for you. And you can watch or listen at any time from anywhere if you download The Great Courses Plus app. We think... You're going to love The Great Courses Plus, so we've arranged a special limited time offer for our listeners, a full month of unlimited access for not £5, not £3, £2. No, it's not to, It's free. It's free. It's free. That is good. Yeah. No money. No money will change hands for your month of unlimited access if you sign up through our page, which is thegreatcoursesplus.com forward slash science. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com forward slash science. Enjoy. Welcome aboard the Night 2000. Thank you. What's all this? Looks like Darth Vader's bathroom. It is a one-of-a-kind car, Mr. Long. It is the fastest, safest, strongest car in the world. It is also completely fuel efficient and is operated entirely by microprocessors which make it virtually impossible for it to be involved in any kind of mishap or collision. Unless, of course... Specifically so ordered by its pilot. Don't tell me this thing flies. No, but it thinks. It thinks. My car thinks. 
Tonight we look at the future of self-driving vehicles. Would you get into one? Well, many people believe autonomous cars are coming, and soon... Manufacturers around the world are investing in the technology to develop them. Businesses and consumers are anticipating ways they can use them. Do we need driverless cars uh, in our lives and in our future? Well, well, for me, the answer has to be yes. You also told me this machine couldn't have a collision. And not if the system is operable. And to do that, you have to um, switch it on first. Whether it's picking up customers in Las Vegas or delivering a pizza in Michigan or Miami, today driverless vehicles are being tested seemingly everywhere. It's imperative, I think, that we have these vehicles such that all vehicles learn from all vehicles, from all driving ever done. I'll never trust anybody again. Hello and welcome to Science-ish. I'm Rick Edwards, joined as ever by Dr. Michael Brooks. Hello. There he is. So we take one piece of fiction and we ask one massive question. This week, my turn. The subject is driverless cars. Driverless cars, which means we are looking at... This is one of our only TV series. We're looking at Knight Rider. That's a bit of a throwback. Were you a Knight Rider fan? Not really, no. Are you slightly too old, aren't you? And that's not oh. meant as a criticism. <laughs> I mean, I'm pleased it's come out as well. <laughs> yeah, I think I was slightly too old. Yeah, I absolutely loved it. Did you have I all the toys? So Did you much. have everything? Uh, all yeah. the merch? Yeah, all the merch. Um, well, actually, not all the merch, because um, I think it was quite expensive. A bit of merch. I also have the DVDs of all of the first run, including... The pilot of Knight Rider, which doesn't star Hasselhoff, is another guy. They've just looked at him and thought, you're no Hasselhoff. <laughs> and they've got the half in and triumphant decision. So, I mean, obviously, I mean, what is it to say about Knight Rider? First of all, it's absolutely fantastic. Secondly, is just like a cool dude, <laughs> probably like ex-military or something. He's like quite nails. But the main thing is he drives this car, Kit, yeah. uh, K-I-T-T, stands for Night Industries 2000. And the car is intelligent, sort of autonomous. So he just chats to the car a lot. The car sort of comes and rescues him. The car is virtually indestructible because it's got some sort of special coating on it they never really go into. But I mean, the main thing is that the the car, which is sick looking, can just drive around on its own. Right. Hence, our question is, will we be better off with driverless cars? And who's the legend who's going to tell us the answer? You're not going to believe this. Paul Newman. The not, Paul Newman. No, oh. no. <laughs> Professor Paul Newman, um, who is director of the Oxford Robotics Institute and founder of Oxbotica. Oh, I like what they did there. Yes. Uh, and uh, Oxbotica is an artificial intelligence company focused on bringing autonomous software into vehicles around the world i.e. he's going to make himself a lot of money. <laughs> uh, and he is one of the biggest dons out there on the self-driving circuit. Thanks to Google, driving in the future may mean telling the car where you want to go, then sitting back to enjoy the ride. Do we need driverless cars uh, in our lives and in our future? Well, well, for me, the answer has to be yes. There's no steering wheel in here. There is just... Car comes out. Well, there's a car. We enjoy driving, but by every metric, we're not very good at it. I mean, just by counting alone, something like 80% of all accidents are caused by human inattention or simple mistakes. And that, that inattention is 
It's something that machines just don't do. They never get bored. They don't get distracted. And so for me, you know, we're compelled to have these machines. You know, we're not condemned to a future of time wasting and congestion and polluting. There is a better way forward with vehicles driving for us. Google believes self-driving cars will be a reality a lot sooner than you think. If you go up to someone and, and, and you find they've had a car accident, it, it's obviously sad. But then if you ask them, did your neighbor get better? Did they become a better driver because of your accident? They'll probably look at you somewhat somewhat obliquely. But you see, this is one thing that the machines can do. So it is always bad when there is an accident. There's, there's nothing to be talked about there. But surely it must be the case that every time there is an accident on the roads, we should reduce the probability of there ever being another accident. The driverless cars can share this data amongst them. So say something happens and uh, a machine learns that there's a particular configuration of a low sun in frosty mornings and, you know, and frozen roads that make it hard to see something. Um, surely that should be shared amongst all the vehicles. So that's an interesting thing. That's exactly what humans don't do. So I had a car accident myself and I pulled out in front of a truck uh, on an A road. And you know what? I just didn't see it. And the next day I said, I don't think I'm a better driver now because of that. I wouldn't do anything different. I haven't learned anything. And that, that, that really sort of spooked me out because I didn't think I was distracted. I don't think I was doing anything wrong. But maybe there was something about that road and that truck behind those in front of those beech trees that meant I wouldn't see it. Now, that's not the case then with machine learning in vehicles. They have the ability to share updates across the whole fleet. And that's something I think that is very compelling, unique, and it's an imperative, I think, that we have these vehicles such that all vehicles learn from all vehicles, from all driving ever done. That's exactly what humans don't do. Obviously, we don't have roads full of self-driving cars at the moment, even though we hear a lot about them. You know, is this something we've been trying to do for a long time, or is it a fairly recent thing? Uh, it's sort of fairly recent. At Stanford in the 70s, they made this thing called the Stanford Cart, which effectively looks like a drinks trolley <laughs> uh, with, uh, with a computer strapped on the top of it. <laughs> really? And it can navigate around a bit with the sort of limited artificial intelligence that they had available then. But the, I mean, the main thing was it would take it 20 minutes to calculate a one meter move. Are so not hugely wow. practical, yeah, okay. but it's still quite impressive. But more recently, it was the Pentagon that sort of got involved. So uh, DARPA, they're the guys who do all the sort of emerging technology stuff for the military. Naughty, naughty yeah, bastards. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. They'll have anything. They're like, yeah. oh, that's interesting. <laughs> Chuck a load of money at it. Um, and they would try and develop self-driving cars and they weren't really getting anywhere. So they thought, okay, let's open it up to private contractors and enthusiasts and stuff because we might have more luck there. So they started this thing called the Grand Challenge or Urban Challenge or something. Okay. So they had the first one in 2004. It was like, can you make an autonomous vehicle that will cross the Mojave Desert? So like 140 miles. And then the first one was just an absolute disaster. Really? Um, yeah. So the best one made it seven miles. In 2004? In 2004. Wow. Okay. Um, and most of them just flipped or crashed or, or just stopped like within view of the start line. <laughs> but 
in 2005 at the same thing, five vehicles finished the course. And then by 2007, you had cars that could not just avoid obstacles and follow traffic laws, but they could do U-turns, they could kind of merge into traffic, they could park. So it was getting pretty, actually not bad Yeah. on this very, I mean, crucially, one route. Right, so it's highly controlled, highly, highly predictable. Highly controlled. Not necessarily highly predictable in, in the sense that they, they don't know exactly what it, obstacles are going to be there, but highly predictable in that they know the types of obstacles. Okay, yeah. And, and they're never going off the track, effectively. And then sort of from that, so in 2009, Google started their, their self-drive project sort of in earnest and they recruited a load of people who used to work at yeah or or just a load of people who've done the darpa challenge successfully and and now you know there are a lot of different commercial bodies it's interesting it's only really 10 years old yeah in in a in a meaningful way yeah arguably less than that because i think google were the first people to really start shoving money in in a serious way so when you think where we've actually got to that's really quick progress it depends on how impressed you are by where we're at at the moment which we'll get on to. Right. Because I think that we talk about, generally, we talk about driverless cars and autonomous cars in a way that suggests they're here and they're just waiting and they'll just, they'll just be rolled out any time, which I don't think, is, I don't think okay. is the case at all. Is it true in any area? So, so there must be autonomous vehicles in certain sort of yeah, niche applications. Yeah, absolutely. So like the mining industry. Um, so Caterpillar have got these mining trucks that are autonomous. Um, and they're, and they're, they're pretty good. Like they... But they're absolutely, again, in this controlled area, effectively like a geofenced area. Yeah. They're going down routes that they that they know and have been pre-programmed. All of the other vehicles on there are also autonomous, so you don't have a danger of accidents because they can all be linked. I mean, you don't want to disrespect the achievement, but it's it's quite an easy context in which to have right, autonomous okay, yeah. vehicles. Similarly, farming, there aren't entirely autonomous tractors or anything yet, but they're getting that way. Because it's sort of just driving up and down. <laughs> up and down the field. Yeah. Yeah. Turning um, at the end and, and coming yeah. back. And, yeah. But being yeah. but doing it in a very sort of regular, reliable and, and crucially profitable way because there's there's no error. Apart um, from when a rambler crosses the field, presumably. And then yeah, but it might be down. able to spot that, I think. Make a beeline for them. I don't think it would do that. Oh. But that would be an error, wouldn't it? <laughs> in the, in the software. Depends how you feel about ramblers. So how do driverless cars and driverless vehicles drive themselves? What's the anatomy of an operating system that would allow vehicles to do that? Well, I guess there are three key questions. Um, um, I always say it's where am I, what's around me, and what should I do? If we can answer those questions, then a whole load of robotics endeavours come into into view. Hello, Tower. This is Firebird 2304. How are things on the safety autoway? Tower to Firebird 2. All traffic moving in normal pattern. So let's start with the first of those questions, where am I? So you might say, well, you should use a GPS. And that's not a bad idea, although it's not very, very accurate and it's not very good near buildings. It definitely doesn't work in buildings and it definitely doesn't work underground. FB2 to Tower. We're heading for Chicago. Please route us through. Over. So more likely, you'll be using something like a camera or a laser on board that peers out at the world 
And by doing some image processing, so perhaps comparing, if you like, an internal map of some sort of what the world looks like. And that could be a series of remembered pictures, or maybe it's even the 3D structure of Oxford Street. You can compare what the sensors are seeing at runtime with what the memory of the world is. View screen map shows your location within our control zone. You have your and so that would then give you a position. The second question, what's around me, again, often involves those same sensors. So perhaps a laser, a camera and some radar. And it's using image processing and machine learning techniques to process that data coming from those sensors to try and find in the image things that are of interest. What are those things of interest? Well, you might say it's cars and it's people. So you can imagine the machine trying to localize little areas of pixels in those images where there are cars and where there are people but then you've got to think what about things that i don't recognize what about some strange shape what if there was a horse in the road or something that could be moving so perhaps below that you have a layer that says this is stuff that's moving and that's stuff that's not so with those things in mind you can get to that third question is if i know where i am and I know what's around me, what should I do in the next fraction of a second? And so that's the planning problem. So that takes in all the data about perception and generates a local plan that says, OK, in the next fraction of a second, I want you to accelerate or decelerate or turn the steering wheel left and right. And then again, a fraction of a second later, the whole caboodle repeats again. And this thing rotates around inside the vehicle in the simplest incantation, really pretty fast. You might be doing this at 50, 60 times a second. All the sensors running, all the planning working. And then that feeds down what we would call the safety stack that controls the vehicle below the cortex of the vehicle. That's how you build a self-driving car. You're now under automatic control. Hands off steering. Right then, let's do it. Uh, Very straightforward, it seems. Uh, What's the problem? Well, the main problem is that we are not very close to having cars that are, or not in the way that we probably imagine it. So I would have guessed, okay, so I just go and buy a car that is driverless, that I sort of sit in the back of, and it just, and it ferries me around. And for various reasons, that's not going to happen in the near future. One is just cost. That all of the stuff that Professor Paul was just talking about is really expensive. Then on top of that, the real problem is just the mapping, that the mapping of the surroundings. So any any autonomous vehicle out on the road currently is geofenced. So it has a certain area. So it might be that the entire city has been mapped and it can drive around that city. But if you put it anywhere that wasn't mapped, it would be absolutely fucked. And so would you be. Oh, so um, it doesn't do real-time sort of just looking out and seeing what's there? No, no. That is a long way in the future. So they think that, and I don't even know the, the time scale, but whatever, 50 years' time, then effectively the artificial intelligence on board the cars will be at a similar level to, to humans. So all you will need is something like Google Maps, yeah. and it will be fine. It will be able to get around. Yeah. But currently, that is n- nowhere near. So it needs this prior information about its surroundings. And these aren't, you know, 
there's even an argument about whether you should call these maps because they're so complex. You can't use GPS. GPS is just nowhere near accurate enough. We're talking about, to make these things safe, maps that are sensitive even to like a tectonic move. You're it's, joking. It's, no, no, no. Because if you're centimetres out and you, and you plot in the wrong direction that you're centimetres out for a while, you end up being quite a long way out. So the amount of data, if you think about it, that it needs to be contained in a, in a sort of 3D, constantly updating map of everywhere yeah. is insane. And you basically can't fit it in your car, which again seems like an odd thing, but you just cannot fit that amount of data on board in the boot of your car. It's not economical to be like communicating with the internet the whole time. So yeah. it's a real it's a real challenge. People don't know how to store that data, how to streamline that data about the the world that the car is 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 moving about in. So currently it's just in the areas that have been mapped, quite small areas. So you're just sort of ring fenced. Yeah. But then the other thing is that people just aren't sharing this information. So maybe Uber have mapped Philadelphia. Yeah. And then Google have mapped San Francisco. There's not a standard for those maps. They're not sharing those maps. So it's just like there's so much cost. So what I mean, what will ultimately <laughs> happen, I think, is that they'll they'll just have to amalgamate. So with all this kind of stuff going on, the whole thing is about making these things safe, really, isn't it? Now entirely. Because that's the thing that the public understandably are worried about. That are these things safe? And what's the answer? Well, the answer is sort of yes and no. As Professor Paul said, humans are bad drivers. We're quite inattentive, easily distracted. We get tired. None of those things apply to driverless cars. But there is a difference, I think, between public perception of a regular car accident caused by human error and a car accident is caused by a machine. So there's been a couple of examples. So um, there was a fatal collision that a self-driving Uber had with a pedestrian recently, which is one of the first driverless car fatalities. And initially, it was thought that the pedestrian had sort of rushed out and the car just didn't have time to react. But now looking at it, the car saw the pedestrian, misinterpreted it, just didn't stop. Like it had plenty of time to apply its brakes. And just ploughed on and just, it. And just ploughed on. All of these driverless cars that are going around at the moment have a person in there as well. As I say, the person at the time was just looking down at their lap, which is the, really the the sort of, I think, the the biggest jump for people getting in driverless cars is going to be the idea of it being kind of half driverless car and half you is basically unworkable because we're a really bad backup because we just don't pay attention. So Google did a thing where they they got their um, employees to go around like the parking lot and they said, look, you have to be alert at all times in, in your driverless car yeah. because it were, there'll be times when you need to take over. And they're really clear on that. And then they watched and people just get bored, basically. And they start like watching videos on their phone and, and stuff or sitting in the back seat. Yeah. Or, so you cannot, you just can't be relied upon. Yeah, in the car just drove around the truck and steered itself. Yes, it's marvelous, isn't it? I hate it. <laughs> I like to make my own decisions. Well, the microprocessor said, deduced that you were acting contrary to your best interests. It had two choices. Either to slow down or to maneuver around the obstacle. Well, then why didn't this thing slow down instead of driving around the truck? It would have been a lot safer. Well, um... Well, why? Come on. I find a flaw in their perfect machine here. No, no, no flaw, I assure you. It's just that... Well, um, it's just what? Well, it was showing off for you. What? 
So we're in a position where we're starting to talk about these machines and their capabilities, and we have to develop ideas of you know whether we think there are kind of ethical grounds for bringing them in or ethical grounds for the decisions that they'll have to make in the same way that you know we have to make decisions when we're driving about what we're going to do. Yeah, this is a huge, huge problem because you enter the, the realms of kind of, yeah, morality and ethics. And these, you, you can't just sort of leave it to chance. Like these machines are going to do what they are programmed to do. So you need to decide what you think they should do in certain situations where neither outcome is desirable. And so it's, it's the trolley problem, but actually you have to come up with an answer. So the trolley problem is the, is the old psychological experiment where you say you're on a bridge and you see that a, a, an out of control train is coming under this bridge and there's five people like tied to the track ahead of it. But there's also, um, there's a lever that you can pull and it will send it off on another track where there's just one person tied. So the first version of the trolley problem says, you ignore the fat man, um, the first version, of the, first version of the problem says, do you uh, pull the lever yeah. so that it goes off and just kills one person or do you leave it and so it just plows in and, and kills five people? Yeah. And people would tend to say, ah, well, I pull the lever. However, if you then get rid of the lever and you just say, if you push the fat man over the bridge and he lands on the tracks, he's heavy enough that he will stop the train. So he will get killed, but the five people ahead won't. People are much more reticent about doing that. About even though, pushing the guy off yeah, the Yeah, ultimately, it's yeah. the same problem. Um, it's just you don't like the the action of, I'm having to push a fat man over a bridge. <laughs> I'd rather I'd rather pull a lever, Do you please. have to lift him up over the parapet? Is that quite difficult? I think, thing? weirdly, you probably have to coax him into it. <laughs> it's like, listen, fatty, <laughs> you could do everyone a favour here. <laughs> and, uh, but the, the, what's kind of interesting about the trolley problem is it's only ever been sort of abstract people can discuss it um you know in kind of in in just purely hypothetical terms and legally no one really says anything about it like yeah. if if for example someone did push um a fat man did exactly that they just sort of go well we'll go case by case and we'll let the jury decide whether that was a reasonable thing yeah, to do yeah. or whatever but that's not good enough here because you have to say, in, in, in every situation, the machine operating that car, the artificial intelligence operating that car, has to be told what the right thing to do is. Right. Like, and, it, and it needs to make that decision. But in that situation, then, there is no right thing to do. So you can't tell it what and there's to do. Your, well, no, but you, you have to. And, and so MIT are doing a really nice thing, which you should go and try out. In fact, everyone should do, because I think the more people that do it, the better. Called the Moral Machine Quiz or something. All right. And you look at it on the MIT website, and they've just created a load of scenarios, like the trolley problem, where you just have to say whether you think A or B is the right thing to do. And it's really like, it's just genuinely quite... Initially, it seems sort of absurd. Because it's like, right... There's four cats <laughs> driving a car <laughs> in your driverless car and they're about to plough into uh, five mothers with their babies. Or you can make it go off in the other direction. They crash into a barrier and all the cats die. And yeah. you're like, which, which should it do? And you're like, obviously, crash into a barrier and all the cats die. But then it has like, okay, this time it's two mothers and a criminal and they've all walked out in a red light. <laughs> and now in the car, there's a mother, a baby and a dad. Now, what are you going to do? Oh. And it's really, you're just like, fuck, I don't, I don't know. I just don't know. Yeah, and, but yeah. but the, the point that they're making is they, they need to try and get a sort of 
like an ethical steer from people on this. You don't just want some programming bod going, oh, do you know what? Yeah, I yeah. really like cats or whatever it is. Yeah. Like you need people to think about this stuff. And it and it's genuinely difficult. And you realize that there aren't right answers, but this is exactly the stuff that driverless cars are going to have to deal with potentially. Like they will find themselves at situations where they have to make a call between what they're going to cause damage to. The race is on. Yeah, it's going to be huge. As car manufacturers and rideshare platforms aim for the finish line, bringing consumers like us the first fully autonomous driverless. A question I often get asked is, you know, when am I be able to buy a driverless car? Um, and my answer to that is quite some time. If you're hoping to buy a vehicle that totally replaces the functionality of your own car at the moment, and you never need to touch the steering wheel. In fact, it might not even have a steering wheel. That's going to be a long, long time, many, many years. And why is that? Well, because driving's really hard. So if you think in the totality of the time which you own a car, all the crazy situations that you've come across and that you've dealt with, those are hard, hard problems. So a vehicle driving from any place to any other place any time of day in any weather without you having to worry about it, about not getting there or the vehicle saying, actually, this is a bit tricky. Um, I'm just going to stop here now for half an hour. That would be pretty, that'd be pretty annoying. That takes some time. Car companies continue to unveil new driverless concepts. Those predictions of a truly autonomous vehicle may be a lot further away than we think. Tim Stevens is editor-in-chief. However, what comes really quickly and very soon, and like a few years, perhaps even less, will be vehicles that are running autonomously in what we call geo-fenced areas in a city. And those vehicles will be very well rehearsed. They'll be very confident in the places that they're working. And so you have mobility as a service, as a transport solution in cities like that. So, you know, will we be better off with, with driverless vehicles? Yes. And notice I didn't say driverless cars because they're obviously coming and they're obviously going to be great. Think about all the things that as a species we move. And I think almost all of those will be helped and made more efficient by autonomous vehicles, move them faster, move them safer, move them cheaper. We move a lot of stuff. And some of those jobs are really boring. So you can think about one forklift driver being able to operate 10 forklift trucks. You can think about ports becoming autonomous and you can think about warehouses becoming autonomous and farms. And and for me, this amplifies what we do. It doesn't replace what we do. It amplifies what we do. Robotics and autonomous systems are going to touch all of our lives. And I'm really positive about the opportunity it's going to give us, frankly, as a species. All right, so how is this all going to play out? It's complicated, but are we actually going to get sort of driverless cars alongside us sort of on the motorway? You know, am I going to sort of be competing against something that's sort of, you know, driving itself and and doing a better job than me and potentially going to kill me rather than, you know, plow into the old lady on the side of the road? Um... Maybe. I think one of the, the, I mean, there's so many problems down there, but another problem is having exactly that, having a combination of, of cars with drivers, human drivers and driverless cars on the road. Because you can immediately see, and, and people have done studies on this, that human drivers will take advantage of driverless cars if they know they have great split-second reactions. So if, if you're at a junction and uh, it's the driverless car's right of way 
but you're in a hurry, you're going to go. Yeah, you're, you're basically, yeah. you're going to mug it off. You're going to game it, aren't you? Yeah, you're just going to you're going to pull out in front of it because you know it's going to stop. Which <laughs> <laughs> is like when you're sat in the back of your driverless car, yeah. like waving your fist at the driver who's yeah. just made you pull over to the side of the road. Yeah, yeah, and 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 people, you know, just like pulling out in front of them without a care. So, so that's an issue. Um, and then the the fact that. You know, that the dream sort of utopian vision that Professor Paul put forward at the start was where you have all of the this network of cars um, communicating with each other, learning from each other, and it's all kind of very harmonious. And, you know, one car makes a mistake, the whole network learns, it never happens again. Great. But is that going to happen? Well, probably not, because they're so. not all going to be talking to one another, because they're going to be made by different manufacturers, potentially using totally different software and mapping. Um, so they're going to be competing in, in in some way. So it's not, um, yeah, it's not necessarily going to be as harmonious as Professor Paul imagines. Of course, it might be that I'm not allowed to drive, presumably. When, when self-driving cars get good enough so that they're all better than me, uh, am I just going to be banned from driving? Yeah, I mean, some people have suggested that that might happen quite soon, like within our lifetimes. So sort of 25 years, humans might just be banned because we aren't great drivers. That's the thing. (laughs) And certainly if you compare them to the... Right. If you compare them to the sort of the the perfect ideal of of a driverless car working well, then yeah, humans are rubbish. And that's why there are so many deaths on the roads and if you wanted to minimize that like the the safest system is it's all driverless cars yeah driverless cars plus cars with drivers not so good i don't really buy this utopia where driverless cars are just gonna give us this beautiful golden world in which there's never any more accidents or problems on the roads ever again i mean i think there are lots of arguments for driverless cars so the fact that you would be able to reduce congestion because they could drive closer together and more safely. The fact that you're freeing up people to do other things in their car, therefore making people more productive. You know, there's a sort of economic opportunity associated with driverless cars. Uh, and, And also, you know, purportedly, it will be safer because so many of the deaths on the roads are created by human error. Mm. However, three really interesting ways in which cars in general sort of affect our health. So the first obvious one is crashes. Um, And yes, autonomous vehicles uh, will claim that there will be fewer of those, so that will be better for our health. Okay. The the second is obviously pollution. So, you know, we, we get whatever, like, lung disease, various other nasty things happening to us because of breathing in exhaust fumes. So if these cars are all electric, that should be good, except it would depend how the electricity is being generated in in the first place, which we don't don't know. And then we also don't know whether people are going to travel more or less with driverless cars. Like it might make it, you know, maybe suddenly everyone is, lives more desperately. And, and travels further because it's so easy. Like, it's fine. I live 100 miles away from where, from where I work, but it's no problem because I can we'll just work in the car. It's really... And then it goes back. But then the third one, which you don't really think about, is that driving is the least healthy um, option in terms of your, just your, your physical fitness because you're just sitting there doing nothing. 
So anything which means that you're driving more as opposed to cycling or walking or jogging or whatever to work or anywhere is basically bad for you. And we don't know whether driverless cars will make us do more of that or, or less of that. We don't know much, do we? No, we don't. But we need to think about it all. Yeah. Well, you're telling me that this car can just take off, go for gas or a car wash just like that, huh? Mm-hmm. That would be terrific if I happened to be working under it. It wouldn't harm you, I assure you. Its primary function is the preservation of human life. Your life. By me, you mean anybody driving this thing? No, no, no. I mean you, specifically. You, Michael Arthur Long. So will we be better off with driverless cars? If the utopia happens, then yes. But I think on the way there, I don't think we're going to see a great improvement in life. No, it really depends. There's just lots of decisions to make that will be made by... I mean, honestly, the hardest thing is going to be legislating this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Absolute nightmare. Yeah, I don't want to get involved in that. No, I didn't imagine you would. Who's gonna tell you when it's too Science-ish is a Radio Wolfgang production presented by me, Rick Edwards, and Dr. Michael Brooks. The producers were Cormac McAuliffe and Ivor Slayer-Manley. Special thanks to Professor Paul Newman. If you like the show, please subscribe and rate wherever you listen to your podcasts. It does help. You can also find us on Twitter at science underscore ish. When I did my speed awareness course, we actually had to do a kind of drive around with an instructor. Did you have to do that? No. Yeah, so, oh, you so, must have really broken the speed. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, by six miles an hour. You and animal. And um, so we, we were doing this drive around and, and this advanced instructor said, you know, you know, wanted to see how we drive and what could be improved about the way we drove. And uh, I was the only one that broke the speed limit while I was on the course. Very good, Roxy. <laughs> <laughs> Just so keen to do another one. You're like, can I book in? <laughs> see you next week, guys. Yeah, yeah she wasn't very pleased with me. Your computer makes thousands of connections every day just like the one it's making now to deliver you your audio content. Why not unlock some little connections of your own? Pick up a box of Cadbury Heroes today, stay at home and share them with your family or friends. Sometimes it's the little things that bring us together. 